Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A Living History Production. This is the Living History Podcast, broadcasting live across the airwaves. Hello and thank you for joining me on another episode of Living History. Today we're doing something that we've done a few times in recent months, which is telling a story of history by an object that was there and played a pivotal role in that history being written. And the story we're telling today is the story of the first time that someone flew across the Pacific in an aircraft. It was in 1928, and of course, it was Charles Kingsford Smith and his crew that completed that epic voyage across the Pacific. And the object we're going to look at that's going to help tell that story is the navigation charts used by his navigator, Harry Lyon, during that epic voyage. So these are incredible charts, navigational charts marked with pencil, with ruler, with handwritten annotations, telling a, an incredible story of that epic voyage across the Pacific. Those charts today are stored in the National Library of Australia in Canberra, and I was lucky enough to examine them in conjunction with curator Martin Woods. So here's the story of Charles Kingsford Smith and the first flight across the Pacific. We've got a lot of navigation material in the, in the library's collection from the very ancient um, Dutch mapping um, that... Uh, uh, navigators used or sailors used to get across various ocean distances, great ocean distances. So navigation is a great strength of the National Library Maps collection and uh, I'm really pleased today to bring you one of those gems. Uh, and in this case, it's a 20th century navigation chart um, and not to do with the sea so much as to do with the air. Uh, this is the navigation charts of Harry Lyon uh, aboard the Southern Cross with... Um, Charles Kingford Smith and the crew, and James Warner um, on the on the radio, and and Kingsford Smith's um, companion um, Charles Ulm. So it, we, it's an amazing uh, collection of charts to have. Um, it's a rarity for us. Uh, I know Anne Blaney's book about Kingsford Smith, released just last year, gave a really great account of it. But what I really liked. Um, about bringing this one to people's attention is that we've got them online. People can look at them closely, examine exactly what um, uh, uh, Harry Lyon produced and uh, tell the story. It add a, add a lot more to the story that um, uh, Kingsford Smith and Anne Blaney and others have, have written about that uh, historic crossing of the Pacific, which was really um, a, a world first in 1928. So not just an extraordinary object in its own right, but what a chapter of history, the first crossing of the Pacific Ocean by air. I mean, that journey in itself was 
perilous, wasn't it? It was uh, many people had tried it before and failed. It was. I think we take it a little bit for granted this idea that we can just fly across the Pacific Ocean. But in 1928, this was an absolutely extraordinary journey, wasn't it? Well, you know, it, I, I still I'm staggered by the fact that it's so soon after the invention of flight. So within 20 years, here we are crossing the Pacific. But every few months, there would be some new invention and some way of uh, improving the experience. Not to say the experience of crossing the, the Pacific was an easy one for the uh, the the crew of the Southern Cross because it wasn't. Uh, they were virtually deaf. They couldn't smoke because of the extra fuel tanks. Um, they, there was no toilet. They had one set of clothes. The whole thing was as bad as uh, uh, as any ocean-going um, exercise of hundreds of years previously. But there was technology coming on that made the crossing of the Pacific possible. Just in the years prior to this um, uh, Kingsford Smith, who was a, a, obviously a, a bit of a daredevil and uh, someone who was um, destined to do something uh, momentous in his own mind, uh, at least, if not that of others. But, you know, he was uh, impelled to cross the Pacific. It, it caught the, the fly, uh, the flight bug. And there were a number of servicemen after the First World War. He fought in Gallipoli and uh, had military cross in Europe and uh, he joined the um, Flying Corps and uh, was shot down eventually, uh, lost a bit of his foot uh, in the process. Um, And then after the war, what do you do if you're that kind of a person? Uh, So, yeah, there there were prizes being offered because there's a connection between, at this time, entrepreneurs could see flight. It's not only... They they had demonstrated during the war what a powerful tool it was and it was used to um, take aerial photography um, and to to fly over the enemy lines and um, and Kingsford Smith and others were engaged in that kind of activity as well as shooting down enemy balloons. But he was sickened by war and the killing of war. His, his impression of war was not a happy one. And uh, I think after the war he was looking for something more exciting. He certainly fell in love with flying though and uh, within a short time he got his licence. The wonderful thing about the library is we've got collections right across the board. So... We've got the maps, uh, the charts that were, showed the calculations as they flew across the Pacific, but we've also got the um, uh, his pilot's license in 1919, and we've got the um, the, the scrapbook of Charles Ulm and uh, the logbook of the Southern Cross, and uh, even Kingsford Smith's uh, wartime jacket in the collection. So uh, you know, it's such a wonderful. Uh, cross-section of material that tells you a story more so than even a book can do. Kingsford Smith, in this whole romantic age of flight, it was a little bit overlooked for history. We think that this was only a year after Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic and was a made man. It was probably the most famous man on the face of the earth for, for a period of time and many years afterwards. Kingsford Smith is... In many ways, his journey across the Pacific was a lot tougher than the, the flight across the Atlantic, but he seems to be a little bit overlooked... I suppose, particularly from the European and American uh, perspective, not so much in Australia. Mm, no, I agree. Why do you think that is? Yeah, um, I mean, there's probably a number of factors. Um, and, you know, when I think about the Lindbergh one, that demonstrated that you could fly over um, uh, long water and the Pacific voyage is obviously much longer. I think overall it, they took 83-odd hours and it was done over nine or ten days um, in those conditions that we were talking about before. 
Um, Kingsford Smith as well was trying to um, demonstrate the viability of flight long distance. Um, you would probably know that in the in the year after the Pacific crossing, he and Ulm and uh, P.G. Taylor went across the Tasman and they were trying to set up an airline, Australian National Airlines was the, the business that they were trying to establish. So this was a, a mix of business and um, uh, adventuring um, on on King, Kingsford Smith's part, but he never really cracked it. Um, he, he did for the Pacific flight. He managed to, to uh, enthuse a phila- American philanthropist, Alan Hancock, who uh, hence the American connection with Harry Lyon and James Warner um, as navigator and so forth. But he never really got an Australian connection, and maybe that was the problem, that in America you can go, you went from uh, flight to commercial flight. I mean, even today we struggle with commercial flight in Australia because of the volume issues in domestic terms. But the American flight um, story is one that is from success to success. Whereas I feel with um, uh, Kingsford Smith, it was um, stop, start, stop, start. And even by the end of his career, at the end of his career, he was still doing joy flight, joy rides for people at um, a few shillings a pop. We were going through, we've got one map in front of us at the moment, the, the map from the US to Hawaii, the first leg uh, of that voyage. You were showing me some of the other charts and they tell an amazing story, don't they? The ink stains on them, the the, the, the annotations, the, the, the handwritten marks all over them. But you're also saying that probably the most important of the maps uh, isn't in the collection, which is the final one showing their arrival in Australia. Where Where is that map? I'd and kill for ever, that. Will that ever be <laughs> part of the collection? I don't know. Um, it, it, we, we got these. I'll tell you the story of how we got these, I suppose. Um, uh, Harry Lyons' um, uh, nephew, I think, um, uh, managed to um, discover them. So he was a... a uh, a sailor himself, and uh, managed to discover these this group of charts, and then recognise what they were in the 1970s, and um, realised that uh, perhaps they belonged with the um, the Southern Cross and the other memorabilia. So, um, in 1978, there was a he was flown out here, and uh, the charts were donated to the then transport minister, I think was Peter Nixon at the time. And then a, about a decade later, they were handed over to the Commonwealth and, and put into the National Library in, um, you know, in the right sort of storage conditions. Um, but you know, the, the other chart um, was given to Kingsford Smith. So this is the chart from Suva to Australia. And uh, it was a very difficult part of the, the um, voyage, by the way. They hit their worst storms. Um, and one of the, look, one of the, I've got to tell you that one of the most interesting things, and I'm not the first to talk about this, but I find it amazing is how communication um, was uh, worldwide about this. Uh, although, yes, to some degree, Kingsford Smith didn't get the recognition that he deserved at the time. There was enormous celebrity and um, uh, attention being paid by people to um, to the the voyage. They had um, uh, Morse code messages being tapped out, which were then being read out onto the radio, and these were being read out right around Australia um, and across the world. The other thing, of course, is that they had uh, radio um, communication, radio beacon signalling, etc. So they had much more accurate um, 
uh, or the ability to, to calculate uh, their position much more accurately. On this chart, amazingly, you can see tiny ships that, that um, Lion has drawn, where they and with the names of the ships, and uh, the and they would bounce the signals back off the ship and then be told their position by the ship. Um, so this, not only did they have the old time sextant and um, dead reckoning. Mechan- you know, measures of uh, navigation, but they actually had radio as well. They had um, a, a kind of electro-induction compass as well, which works a little bit like the way in which birds understand the magnetic field of the Earth and can measure their position and direction of the travel. So the technology of the day was um, rudimentary by our standards, but it had just come off the um, the inventor's um, um Blue chart, blue diagram, really was incredible. Um, so they, prior to this, uh, Kingsford Smith and Olm, I think, had done a, a flight around Australia um, to demonstrate the that they could do it. So they broke the record. Someone had done it previously. They broke the record, and um, they hoped that that would get more funding for them. And so they they went ahead and they did get some more funding for it. But uh, what they hadn't done is use is navigate and. Kingsford Smith was never really um, the navigator um, and getting Harry Lyon on board really saved them on a number of occasions because uh, they were flying blind and that was one of the great fears for uh, Kingsford Smith was flying blind. Um, They hadn't really done it before and this was uh, the longest uh, distance that had ever been done. Uh, You could fly from... England to Australia across land, that's not flying blind, even if you go through some cloud banks and fog and all the rest of it. It's hour after hour after hour of um, flying without knowing uh, what's below you. That is the uh, the difficulty. And uh, having a lion on board was um, essential for the success of the whole operation. Martin, I never would have imagined that these charts still existed if, if you before seeing them today. Why is it important that they have? Why is it important that instead of being destroyed or wasting away at the bottom of someone's cupboard, that these are preserved in our most important literary institution? I think for that very reason. You know, you you can't imagine that they exist. Uh, We could almost be sitting here making it all up. It would be like the moon landing uh, (laughs) conspiracy, you know, if you didn't actually have all the documentation to prove that it actually happened. It's partly that. It's also partly for me, though, the personal connection with the families. All those people who watched um, the the landing at uh, Eagle Farm in Brisbane in 1928 um, all the people who saw Smithy, as he was known, uh, around Australia, um, who took the joyrides, etc., um, they they have also written um, uh, about their experiences. You can find it in the newspapers. Um, but we have the original materials, uh, even some of those um, writings of people saying of their experiences of Smithy. Then you have the whole the families connected with um, Kingsford Smith and Charles Ulm, whose papers we also have here at the library. It means we can really create a, a web uh, of knowledge, a really deep, rich collection um, knowledge that informs um, what might be uh, a very simple um, uh, entry on a on a on the internet or in a book, etc. There's much more behind it, um, and it allows you to have personal connection. I love the fact that the National Library you can actually request these things, and they will be brought out into the reading room, and you can examine them. I mean, isn't that wonderful? 
um, from you know the point of view of anybody visiting a library, being able to do that, not only see them online, but when you're in Canberra, actually physically um, examine the materials, it can be done. Uh, what I can see on the map as well is uh, Harry Lyon's calculations. So the, the leg or the hop from Oakland um, near San Francisco to Honolulu, um, the military airbase there, had been done several times previously. That wasn't really flying blind, um, and it was on the shipping route. So you've got all of Harry Lyon's calculations written um, on the uh, uh, the body of uh, the USA there that you can see. It's really quite amazing. And you can also see his inked uh, expected course, and close to that, very close to it, is the actual course. So that leg was uh, accurately flown, uh, drawn and flown. Uh, the next leg in, in later charts is a lot more variable and there's there's no um, pre-flight calculations drawn on the chart because they didn't have any. Uh, so they had to use, they had to navigate as they went um, with a, a, an anticipated course uh, based on radio bearings and other knowledge that they um, uh, calculated on, on the fly. And uh, so... It's really great to see how their um, their techniques evolved and how these charts record the the difficulties of of making the the calculations work for you. One thing that strikes me, Martin, is just the physical scale of this. This map must be over a meter by nearly two meters. It's a it's a big item, and I imagine being jammed into the plane, the Southern Cross, there wasn't a lot of space to work on this. How would they have done it? I, I really can't imagine too. I mean, they had three or four compasses as well as one one of the the master compasses was on a tripod. They had a sextant um, that apparently nearly strangled um, Harry Lyon on one occasion when they hit some turbulence because it was tethered um, and wrapped itself around his neck at one point. So, uh, yeah, chaos back there um, and... Uh, and also difficulty in communicating because of the the noise that they experienced with the flight. It was absolutely deafening. They couldn't hear anything. Um, and the only way in which they could communicate from the rear of the plane to the front of the plane. So you had the, the two pilots um, uh, standing in for each other, Kingsford, Smith and Ulm, um, in the front, a huge tank of petrol in between them and the two boys at the back. Um, so this was enough fuel to get them uh, for their 40 or 50 hour flight or however long it was going to be. Um, they needed to carry that extra fuel. Incidentally, one of the things, one of the little micro facts that sticks in your mind about these things is that I believe that the, the weight factor was a huge concern for them that could a plane sustain that much weight? Because apparently the weight of the fuel was uh, equivalent to 50 men. Wow. So imagine landing. Usually they landed light, but imagine taking off. And often they were only a few meters. Of, they they would fly for um, you know hundreds of miles, only a few um, meters above the uh, sea, because it was actually difficult to, uh, to climb. And until they burnt fuel, then they couldn't climb. So it was actually quite difficult for them to uh, to achieve. Um, the sort of heights that you imagine flying is all about. But in those days, it's, as long as you were flying, you were flying. So uh, really, that was something. But yeah, this is an amazingly large sheet, um, and they pass messages um, between a small gap um, from the front to the back. Um, if 
that if uh, Harry Lyon thought that they were going off course, um, he'd put a message on a stick um, and he'd pass it through the gap and uh, Kingsford Smith would take the message and um, recalibrate what they were doing. Um, sometimes they would just send jokes back and forth um, just to keep themselves amused because, they, I mean, there were hours and hours where it, you just had nothing else to do. You couldn't hear. You couldn't smoke. They were all smokers, of course, and uh, you couldn't do anything really. Um, so it really... The the notes which uh, uh, were there to uh, divert and inform are now in the National Library collection. Some of them, and they, you can you can have a look at those as well, which I I think is great because they really bring to life the story and and some of the um, the information, of course, as it was tapped out in in semaphore and then read out in the radio, people could actually listen to these um, as they were being read out. So uh, it was very immediate for people. Um, so whatever was going on, we are just passing over a ship called such and such, or um, we've just had to ch- make course corrections. Um, you know, we have reached Suva, and so on and so forth. All these benchmarks, or even um, you know, I can see the Southern Cross, or I can see the Milky Way. Um, those kinds of descriptions were then relayed to radio stations around Australia, and you do find we've got recordings in the National Library collection. I think um, there's one to UE or one of the, the major East Coast stations um, uh, recorded these uh, um, and we've, we've now got them in our collection and uh, make them available to people to, uh, to listen to. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and visit livinghistorytv.com for more great history content. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.